Today's passage is from John's Gospel. Uh, it's the story I alluded to earlier that um, during the children's time. John chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 11 through 27, at least at first, then we'll go from there. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been, been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing, proclaiming of his word, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Started looking at news headlines from three years ago today. Three years ago today, you can probably guess the center of the subject matter of every single headline, at least of the top 20 that I could find, the COVID pandemic. They had just given it a name. They had just named it. Actually, no, I'm sorry. A couple weeks ahead, they had just named it uh, COVID-19. Um, it was uh, a novel coronavirus until that moment. They didn't have a name for it yet. And I had to go all the way back to January to, for it not to have to be anywhere in the headlines. Actually, back to December, because the very first week in January is starting to show up in Wuhan, China. All these headlines. From three years ago today, that the jobless claims were at 3.3 million for that week. Nearly a third of the world's population were at that point living under um, coronavirus-related restrictions. We had discovered that New York City was the epicenter of the U.S. outbreak, and known cases were doubling every three days at that point. We can go on and on and on, but I won't. We live them. You know them. And three years ago, it was only just the beginning. Those numbers, the, all the things that had numbers were small at that point. Those numbers got bigger and sadder as we went on. There's a lot of mourning and grieving around that time, and I, I couldn't help but go back to those moments as I considered today's text that, and today's sermon topic, Blessed Are Those Who Mourn. There's a lot of mourning, grieving, grieving in those times. But when I myself find my heart in a place of loss in grief, I turn to this passage. There are others as well, others that you may hear at, at 
uh, funerals or memorial services yesterday uh, for the service for Nancy Allen, who had passed away. Um, back in August, but her interment at Arlington was yesterday afternoon. The passages of, of, of the home that Jesus is providing for us, the place that he is taking us to, the promises of God's presence with us and of a, a, new, a new creation, all of those are very helpful and comforting. But for me, this passage, knowing that Jesus knew what he was about to do for Lazarus, yet he connected to Mary's grief. We worship one who knows what it is to be human, not just from a distance, but up close and personal. As we look at the whole chapter, the 11th chapter, that's today's lectionary reading. If you're familiar with the, lection, the lectionary, it's a three-year cycle of scriptures. There's a Old Testament, New Testament, a, um, a psalm, and then a gospel. The entire gospel um, lectionary today is the entire 11th chapter, the whole thing. We'll break it up, and we're not going to cover all of it. That whole chapter is so pivotal to our Lenten experience. As we are journeying to the cross and eventually the empty tomb, this is the pivotal moment when everything turns towards Jerusalem and the plot to kill Jesus is in full swing as a result of this moment. But it also gives us a preview of what's to come. You know, in a movie, when you see something and it references something else outside of that moment, we call that a Easter egg. You heard of that? There's an Easter egg in this, and it's kind of almost, it's a pun on that idea, too, because it's an Easter Easter egg. Jesus is foreshadowing his own resurrection as he's going to face his own death in Jerusalem as he raises Lazarus from the dead. But again, we're not going to look at the entire passage. We're going to look at the central section, the middle parts of it, and explore this aspect of Jesus as one who knows our sorrow, understands our grief, but also extends to us this amazing hope through the power of resurrection. Let's pick up this passage. We're going to start it back at verse 27 just for context as Jesus is talking to Martha and read through it a little more. Martha, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. 
And Jesus began to weep. Or as we, most of us learned in Sunday school, Jesus wept. But the force of this, this uh, different translation, it wasn't just he wept in the moment and then he was done. He began to weep. We see in this text and the one preceded how Jesus interacted with both sisters. He met with them individually and responded to them independently and uniquely. Martha came. They both had the same first statement. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But then they both had something else different to accompany that. Martha began with a statement of faith. Lord, and I, I know whatever you ask in God's name will be done. She uh, immediately starts to go into processing this, whether um, she's in one of those places of grief where she's bargaining maybe with God directly through Jesus, or she's just trying to understand it, or she's just trying to console herself with these reassuring words. And then Jesus responds to her, addressing that aspect of her, reassuring her words with his words, with his presence. Yes, you're right. Well, at least I think you're right. And then she says, yeah, I know later on that we'll all be raised from the dead. He said, well, I am resurrection. There's more to it than that. There's more to resurrection than just resurrection power than just what happens in the last days. And she finds assurance in that. And then he turns to Mary, or rather Mary comes to him. And she says the same thing, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And that's it. Except her tears. Doesn't mention Martha's tears. I'm sure Martha had shed tears. But Mary was in her feelings and in her sorrow, and Jesus met her there too. How amazing. It is to know that the one we worship isn't a far-off distance, distant watching from a far deity, but an up-close-and-personal God who experiences life, who experienced life as we experience it, albeit 2,000 years ago. But our feelings are still the same. The human condition is very much still the same. We just have different stuff. That's who we worship. That's who we adore, as we were just singing about. He meets us where we are in our grief. And our only, our only response is to turn to him. To acknowledge our grief. And welcome his response. But Jesus' answers and Jesus' tears weren't the entire bit of the story. They continue in verse 38. Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the womb, uh, tomb rather. Wow, that's a different story. Came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. In that moment, we see the full power of the resurrection on display. Right there. And it's, and it's all of its power and the full glory of, of, of this Messiah. We walk around in this world, and it's always been true that we think that the greatest power in this world is death. But Jesus reveals in this moment that that is not the case. There is a power that is greater even than death. It is resurrection. Rarely has anyone experienced or seen that level of the resurrection power since the first Easter. But it doesn't mean that the power of the resurrection isn't still available and still at work around us. Because that same power, um, with that same power, Jesus continues to bring life out of death, to bring blessing out of loss and to turn an ending into a beginning. Kate Bowler, one of the authors of the devotional that we're using, some of you are um, a part of a weekly group study of that as well. In one of her writings, she said, there are many ways that we might mourn. Dreams that may never become a reality. Children we will never have. Perhaps a childhood that was so traumatic that we never got to be a kid. Some grieve that their own child lost their innocence because of a terrible situation. Others grieve the deaths of their loved ones gone too soon or when time will never, ever be enough. And on and on and on. Loss of any sort can lead to grief. And sometimes we don't grieve properly because the well, for multiple reasons. Sometimes we think that there are those that have it far, far worse than ourselves, so we don't allow ourselves to grieve because, well, this, is, this, this could be so much worse, so I, I shouldn't allow myself to grieve for this. Other times we become aware of a loss long after it occurred and, and feel a little silly about letting ourselves experience the hurt. Sometimes they're in the culture around us. It doesn't think that the loss that we've experienced is worthy of grief, so we hide it or, or suppress it. And sometimes the losses are so many or so great, they just overwhelm us, so we shut down. There's a term that's been around for a while, but I didn't know until a couple of years ago during the pandemic. Ungrieved loss. Ungrieved losses. It was used in connection with our individual, but also our collective experiences of not only the pandemic itself, but the various institutional responses to it. The loss of community, the loss of stability, the loss of, well, I was going to say control, but really our perception that we are in control of most anything. The loss of personal freedoms and autonomy, 
the loss of identity because sometimes we're so wrapped up and our identity is wrapped up in the things that we do and we couldn't do those things anymore, so we didn't know who we were in those moments. Disruption of physical and mental health support missed milestones and rituals. My oldest daughter has graduated, had a graduation ceremony twice, Gavin, from high school and from college. My youngest, she walked across the stage her senior year by herself. Everyone was masked one at a time, and nobody else was in the room. She feels like she's never graduated. I haven't fully grieved that loss, because it still brings tears. And when we don't grieve losses, they turn into other things. They turn into other... <laughs> How many of you have been tired for three years? Part of that, honestly, part of that is from this experience of grief that we haven't dealt with, and it's just weighs so much on us that we can't come out of it, shake it loose. There are other reasons, too. Long COVID hasn't helped some people. Sometimes it turns into anger. Sometimes it turns into withdrawal. And it can look like a whole host of different things. This morning, I'd like to offer a few ways to kind of take some steps towards embracing grief, whether it's grief that's fresh and new um, or grief that's years old. One thing is that let yourself feel your feelings. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Turn on a Hallmark movie and cry, right? If you need to cry. I understand that's a thing. That doesn't work for me. But for some people, it does. For me, I cry at the Avengers when somebody gives themselves sacrificially, when, when Iron Man died, saving everybody. You know, that, I cried. It's true. <laughs> but feel your feelings. And remember that our tears matter to God. David writes in, in the Psalms, in Psalm 56, verse 8, You have kept record of my days of wandering. You have stored my tears in your bottle and counted each one. Tears matter to God. Feel your feelings. Shed your tears. Sometimes you just need to write it down. There's no way to express it to a person. Nobody's at fault. There's nobody uh, at blame. Or maybe it's yourself or what have you. Write it down. Say goodbye to what it was that you lost. Write it all down. And don't, go, don't edit it. Don't go back and delete stuff because it sounds too hard or too raw or too rough. Just write it down. Let it happen. Be one long uh, uh, stream of consciousness. And it can be a, a, a run-on sentence. It's okay. It's just to you. Sometimes writing a letter, um, an unmailed letter in the loss of a relationship. This isn't something you want to mail to the person necessarily. But just to write it down. Just to let your thoughts out in relationships that are broken for, for whatever reason. And it helps to detach the person from the hurt. It's hard in some cases. Sometimes it's almost impossible. But when you can detach the person from the hurt, you can let it go and live in the freedom 
of forgiveness. As we spoke about a couple weeks ago, when we, we forgive because we've experienced the forgiveness of God, we, can't, we don't forget. That's not connected anywhere in Scripture. Forgive and for, forget. Forgive and forget. I mean, we can't do that. But we can forgive. Sometimes you've got a lot of loss over your course of your lifetime, and it's helpful to, to chart it down. Make a timeline of your loss, not so that you can wallow in it. That's not the per- point of it. It's so that you can see the highs and the lows. You can see that sometimes when those losses became blessings, when God took something old and, and made it new, something broken and made it whole, Those are a few things. There are more, many more. But when we allow ourselves to grieve, we open the door for God to breathe new life. To raise the dead within us. Peter Scazzaro is a pastor but and counselor as well, and he says this, Jesus' resurrection is what enables us to affirm that our losses and endings are gateways to new beginnings. Even when we can't see anything good that could possibly emerge from it. Gateways. Not that God turns good, bad things into good things, but the bad things can be Gateways. And gateways are things that we must step through. And part of that stepping through is dealing with our grief and acknowledging it. It's not done easily and it's not done quickly. And it comes through surrender. Surrendering our will to God's, our feelings, giving them to God, being honest with God in them. Be honest with God and our feelings. God can handle it. Even if you're angry at God, God can handle it. And that gives space for God to to speak into your heart, into your life. Life is full of losses. And that, that phrase, blessed are those who mourn, extends to us even at times beyond the death of loved ones. The gateway to the blessing is through the grieving, allowing ourselves to feel the feels, to share them with God, to walk through them, let him walk through with, he's already walking through them with us, acknowledge him there. And let him escort you through that great gateway to whatever is next. You can't always see it when you're in the midst of it, and that's okay, and that's okay. And don't try to convince somebody that it's there if they're not ready to hear it yet. It's okay. Let them grieve. Let them be in their sorrow. Doesn't always, we don't always like that. We don't, we don't like that. This is not in here. But this is, this, is how, this is one of those counseling things. When you're with somebody in their grief, don't try to talk them out of their grief. Let them experience it. Just sit in the silence if you don't have words. If you're unsure of your words, just be present, remembering that our God is present with us. And sometimes people need a physical, visible Uh, embodiment of that presence of God. No, you're not God, but you're helping that person remember God is there too. 
And when we open that gateway, when we acknowledge our grief, when we allow um, God to breathe new life into the death that is a part of whatever loss we are experiencing, then, as Paul says, death has no sting. Death does not have the last word. Blessed are those who mourn because the power of the resurrection is greater. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us, never leaving us alone. Sometimes we feel that way, especially in the midst of loss. Help us to find strength in you, to find strength in one another, and to find blessing even if it's long on the other side, stepping through the gateway of resurrection hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.